Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, They said we couldn't do it. They called us down. They thought there's no way they're going to make it, but here we are, Mike Davidson, episode 18 <laughs> of the Total B She Show, back in the saddle once again. Mike Davidson is in studio this week as well. Why are you changing the way you start the show? It throws me off every episode. I know because I'm getting all the ribbing. Everyone's like, oh, I know how he's going to start the show. Episode blur. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm listening for. Like I was playing on my phone. I'm not paying attention. Yeah, he, he's totally, he's, he's frazzled now. He was literally turning his phone into into airplane mode. I need to give a disclaimer before we start this episode, and I need you to listen closely, all of our great listeners. We normally, you're going to hear this at the same time you normally do, when you wake up Monday morning, most people. We usually are doing this in the mid-afternoon. Yes, it is close to, I don't know, it's a twilight. This is a late night session. Late night session. So if I ramble, and Chris did not offer me beer, thank God. I did not. Because I don't know what I would say then. Or caffeine. So I'm going to do my best, but it's later than normal, and I'm tired. So Chris, thank you for making this happen. You're, you're a great host in the studio. Let's let's be she's. I've got be she's to talk about. Actually, I want to talk about something right off the top. Yes, I... I I, I hear that uh, you might owe somebody a bit of an apology. No, I don't owe anybody an apology. When I'm wrong, though, I'm gonna I'm gonna own it. I'm gonna say it. Now, people are gonna think I'm I'm saying that I'm 100 percent wrong. No, I'm not 100 percent wrong. But la- I was unfair to two guys last week on the show, and they're actually my friends, and I have an incredible amount of respect for them. And this isn't gonna say that the the guy I put over. I was wrong about because I'm not. But I said, if AJ Sanchez and Danny Duggan don't get it, they're missing it and they're part of the problem. And that it was their responsibility to take Brendan Cowan and make him a star. The reason I said that was because I thought Danny Duggan stood to gain the most by monetizing the God-given talents of Brendan Cowan. And I thought AJ Sanchez was the guy who could make Brendan Cowan. Yeah. And I'm not wrong about that. Part of the part of I remember back in 2001 or two, the Manitoba Bisons had a backup quarterback named Brad Sarna, and he looked like a million dollars. And he had a million dollar personality. And he started to train to be a wrestler, and it never led to anything. And if we had handled that differently, we had a guy that could have been um a top guy based on his look, based on his personality. So I took the leap last week when I said, Brendan Cowan should be the next guy that an independent promoter is trying to make. He looks like a million dollars. He does. There's no question. He's a second generation guy of, of a guy. I have a lot of respect for Bobby Collins. So, but I put it on two guys as leaders to make it happen. And what I didn't consider was when I was a 19 year old guy, I remember one of the best lessons I ever learned was you can't teach desire, right? Right now, Brennan Cowan has to bring it. He has to, maybe he'll hear my words and say, okay, I can do this. If he could understand the playbook of the Manitoba Bisons as a receiver, he could understand 
things like footwork, and he can understand what it takes athletically to be a good professional wrestler. If he can win a Mr. Bodybuilding competition, or Mr. Canada Bodybuilding competition, he could be, he could dedicate similar passion to wrestling and become a very, very, very big star. It's not going to be Danny Duggan who has to make it happen. It's not going to be AJ Sanchez. It's not going to be Bobby Collins' responsibility to make it happen. One day, Brendan Cowan's going to have to wake up and love this business enough to want to make it happen. He could have a future in this business, but he has to develop the passion for it and the desire. So it was very unfair of me to put that on AJ Sanchez or Danny Duggan, and I own it. I own it. A lot of times... And, and AJ and I had to talk about this. A lot of times when I'm wrong or people think what I'm saying is wrong or, or when I'm really passionate about my point of view of what they're doing wrong, I can dial back 20 years and see a mistake I made that's very similar. So I'm not judging them, but wisdom and feedback, and I'm offering it wholeheartedly and sincerely. So Danny and AJ, if you listen... I apologize to you too. It wasn't it wasn't on me to put it on you. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and I mean you you have a tendency to to get fired up and that that is uh you know you're pa- a passionate guy and sometimes I was fully cocked though. You, it wasn't half. You you get going. Half. You get going and and things things happen. So there we go. We, we've we've dealt yeah. with that. Disclaimer. I still believe Brendan Cowan should become a, a big star locally, but yeah. it's on him more than it's on anybody else. If his passion is bodybuilding though, which it seems to be. It's hard to do two things at once. I know a lot of wrestlers have the bodybuilder-esque physique, but not a a lot of them are doing bumps and then going and doing shows. So what his passion is, that's good. He's going to have to narrow down his passion, basically. I'm pretty sure he was able to do bodybuilding and play football at a high level. Was he, was he competing in bodybuilding? Or I don't he, think he was competing. But that's a, a big difference. Okay. There Massive you go. difference. There you go. Uh, before we move on, we do want to give a big congrats out to Wayne Stanton. Oh, thank you. Winning an award, uh, the Angora Speaker International Humorous Speech uh, winner. He won it. He won the whole thing. So he was funny? Uh, he said he was never going to be a comedian again. It was a funny speech, apparently. And he, he, won, he won the award. So, I mean, and it's an international organization. So he beat out a lot of people for this. Do me a favor. I, okay. Get at our friend Wayne. Yeah. Find out if there's audio from that speech. Maybe we'll play it. That would be fantastic. Yeah. We'll get on that. Okay. Thank you. And we can play that next week. We don't have to play it this week. I'm all about Wayne Stanton. Me too. Of course he was the promoter that broke me in, as we said when he was on the show. All right. So let's move on to your favorite, mainstream No, it's wrestling. not my favorite. It is your absolute favorite. Everybody knows it. I am you tired and I am cranky. Yeah, I know so you. don't put things on me that aren't on me. I, I'm just trying to needle you. Just trying to get something out of you. All right. What do you want to talk about? Uh, well, Road Dog going back to WWE. I is think. that a surprise? Not a surprise, but something that we talked about. Again, like we, we seem to have this effect. We talk about something mm. and then weeks later it happens. Yeah, that has nothing to do with this. This was so easy to predict. He is vice president of live events, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and Double J is gone by the way too double j got fired jeff Jarrett is no longer in his role that's all they've said he, he's no longer in that role that he just got that is interesting yeah that is interesting um does that mean like road dog's role will be like the head agent and his job is to book the matches that are going to be on live events or? i think road dog's role is triple h's friend yeah well and you know what's going to be here's a check you know what's going to be interesting i don't think it's just that i think he's talented but what is interesting right now is it's going to be a really this next two years or one year where triple h puts his fingerprint on the wwe that 
the evolution of WWE. How many guys defected from WWE and went to AEW who are now saying, yeah, when my deal comes up in six months or one year or whenever, I might go back. I, I could see, I could absolutely see it happening, but a lot of those bigger guys like the Adam Coles and, and the Bobby Fishes and stuff like that, they have all got, like Adam Cole specifically, I don't know about the rest of them, but he's got a five-year contract with AEW. So he, I, I guess my there. question would be when a guy goes to Tony Khan and says, I'd like my release, what happens? That's a good question. Is Tony Khan the type of guy who says, okay, you don't want to be here? That's fine. You, well, you go, or is he the kind of guy that says, no, you can, we're going to hang on to you for every minute. Yeah, minute and he that has contract. that right. He got, they negotiated the deal. My thing is that Tony Khan, the bloom is off the rose for Tony Khan. And Dave Meltzer may not see it, but I see it. The numbers on TV aren't, aren't shooting up. He's had his chance. You're not going to get more return out of CM Punk than you got when he first came on the scene. Same with Brian Danielson. You pissed that away. And now you got Kenny Omega's return. Well, let's put him in a six man to bring him back. Like you don't have, he doesn't have the rest. He does not know instinctively how to build to money matches. And that's why, like, why Hangman Page was ever a champion or why they went to John Moxley as interim champion. He just doesn't have, like, the, the guy who has the most big matches in all, in all Elite seems to be Chris Jericho to me. Yeah, and, and I mean, to, to your point, tonight, as we record this, John Moxley beat CM Punk. For, Last week, yeah. For the championship. Yeah, this past week. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know what you do with it. Are they, who who are, won? John Moxley. Was that because in, CM Punk got hurt, though? that's what happened in the match. I don't know if it's a work or if it's a shoot or what it is, but it, he beat him emphatically and it's leaving me scratching my head, which is what I guess what they want. They want me to be wondering, but I'm wondering like, is it a work? Is it a shoot? Which is good, I guess. But also maybe it's just CM Punk wanting to cool off for a bit and yeah. come back with some uh, more fire. You can't cool off twice and come back hot. Um, I wonder where MJF sits in all of this. And MJF sets it in the best position if he's trying to get a, a money contract because they need him. Well, he's not trying to get a money contract. He's going to get a money contract. He, it's they, just a question of when they're going they to give it to him. They need him, though, now. Um, back to my original point. I see guys that went, like William Regal. I see guys that are there that would look at WWE as a more realistic option. Because if you're hedging, when you make a commitment to a to anything like a pro sports team, or you make a commitment to uh, to a wrestling contract, you're signing, hoping you're going to make your most money on the ancillary revenues yes. of merchandise and pay-per-view bonuses and stuff like that. I think all elites problem is they were the new toy and that's it. Now, Tony Khan is not the guy I said last week. Why is he not even thinking about hiring Shane McMahon to be a key player in his organization? And maybe now with, if Jeff Jarrett's done in WWE, maybe they're going to look at him. They need, they need different cooks to offer recipes. Like if you go to a restaurant, is it one chef or is it a a couple of chefs who put together an entire menu? That's what you might have to do. I'm not all for, I'm, I hate writing teams. I believe there should be a booker or if they say head of creative, I think the term booker, I think you got to go back to old school ways of developing your stories where they talk people into the building, where they make the angles matter based on realistic conflict. Tony Khan has failed that for three or four years. Yeah. And he's because he's a billionaire, he I'm gonna people are gonna get tired of me saying this every week. But my point right now, Triple H has an opportunity. 
Now, a year from now, we might say, hey, it didn't take. Yeah. Remember, I used to say every time TNA changed bookers or it's going to be a new era of, of TNA. It's going to be the, I used to say, this is going to be it. Now, Impact's got the best president they've ever had in Scott Yeah. He's doing an amazing job. Absolutely. And Billy Corgan doing more than adequate job at rebuilding the NWA. And MLW, Court Bauer, doing a great job. Yeah, MLW's That's awesome. second tier of independence are finding a way to satisfy their market. They just can't grow their market because they can't get the right TV penetration. Tony Khan, the opposite billionaire was able to get the TV penetration. And now over the course of three years has exposed that he doesn't really have a feel. He's been hit by the injury bug, but he didn't know, Hey, this guy is right here. We can get him up this like uh, Wardlow. We could get him up or we could get this guy from like, Chris Jericho, you could go back to Chris Jericho on top and Eddie Kingston and guys like that. He's failed to see it. And uh, I just don't get it. No, and he and he's gone out and purchased something like ROH and not even can't get the TV deal to get well, it. He, it's not only that, but he's just not. He's just sort of shirked off of all that ROH feel. Like the ROH had a certain feel to it. Yeah, and he and, tried to make it mainstream. And, and, it's, and it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's like when WWE tried to revamp ECW. It just. It's like yeah. Yeah. I don't know like, if that's the it. case or not. But, I think he's got to do more with it. He There's a case where he should go to WGN and try to get a Saturday night time slot or even do do a deal with Sinclair and get all those TV's time slots back, give it some financing to get it some to get it some stability and let somebody who like bring back Gabe Sapolsky yes, or somebody, somebody who's out there to re- be the main creative force for that. And take your hands off too. Like just be hands off. Tony can't do it. No, he can't, but just be if he, I mean, it will never happen, and everybody's going to everybody's going to accuse me of being a cult of Cornette member. You bring in Jim Cornette, and you say he'll never do it. I know he won't, but you say here's the money to do it. I'm going to step back and let you do your thing. I don't know if he's the right guy either, though. I well, maybe not in this age, maybe not in this age or this era. Him with somebody maybe a bit more contemporary, but he's always got good ideas Cont- for. The problem with contemporary wrestling, and I'm sorry to fans that hear this and it turns them off, because I respect today's fans. Yes. But contemporary wrestling fans like exhibitions. They like good, they like, they want to watch it for the match. Imagine if you went to a pro football pro football game and the two teams said, we just want to put on a good game. Yeah. We don't want to win. We just want to put on a good game. We're just here to make nice plays and we're going to, our running back is going to get a hundred yards and our top receivers, it would be an all-star game. It would not be fun to watch. Wrestling is better when the reason Brett and Sean was such a good angle is because they both wanted to be better than the other guy. Yes. You can compete and still work together to have, do you know when you watch pro sports, when you watch hockey, you don't think for a second Matthew Kachuk wants to be the best player when he played for the Calgary Flames and he wants to be better than Johnny Gaudreau and he wants to make more money? That competition is part of what makes the game so good. That's what wrestling has yes. to be. I want to be the highest paid guy. I like that I, I, I want to be a good teammate to my to my locker room, but I am going to be the best wrestler on the roster. Or I'm when I booked, I wanted to draw the most fans. I did not want some other booker to have a better feel for it and be able to draw more or, or be able to market better or be able to promote better or have a better eye for talent. So stop this this whole thing where, hey, we're going to do something cute or we're going to like have a killer instinct to be the best. If everybody goes out there wanting to be the best and when you sit there and you're in a competitive spirit in your head, you will compete better. I just don't get it. So what about a guy that's just popped into my head, but what about a guy like Al Snow? I don't know. He's out there. Well, he's, he's with Ohio Valley and, he, he and they've got some money now. He owns Ohio Valley, but 
Well, he's, I think he sold it to somebody. Did he? But he, he's still involved. He's a guy, though, that, I mean, honestly, would be a good role for something like ROH, where he, if you gave him the money and gave him the freedom, he's contemporary enough, but he's also brought up in that old school mentality. So it's hard to say, you know what? That's a hypothetical, but I I don't know. I think it's going to be an older, I think you have to get someone like Dutch, someone like Kevin Sullivan, someone like who's had booking experience, who watches contemporary enough and can say, we have to incorporate this old school philosophy into this new age feel. That's exactly. But it's going to be the older, it's not going to be the new guys. No, but it's, that's why I brought up Cornette. But have him with somebody. I mean, he doesn't work well with other people. But ha- have him. Come I don't up think the, he wants anything like concept that. Concept, and then have the new guy. Okay, okay. So we're going to do that concept, but we're going to put this new spin. Yeah, on. I don't think he wants. No, it. because he's making buku bucks. And, yeah, and he's staying at home. And yeah. It, yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, the one other thing I wanted to mention. Um, there's a Von Erich movie coming out. Yes, and Zac Efron is going to play Kevin Von Erich. Which was your favorite Von Erich? Don't say Mike. Don't. Mine oh. might have been Lance, actually. <laughs> uh, like, just for fun, it's Lance, but realistically... What about Fritz? No. There's somebody on Twitter called Denim Fritz Von Erich that I used to just die laughing I at. I think Carrie, even though he was... Yeah. He was... I think, I think he, everybody says Carrie. I think everybody does say I, Or Carrie, they say but, David. Yeah. I, I have to go with Carrie Von Erich, honestly, because yeah. that, he was the one I was most exposed to. I remember... So I was, I was a Mark Mag fan, like as a five-year-old in 84, when he was the NWA champion, I saw him with the belt and um, he had a good physique and I used to be very intrigued by it. I didn't see a lot of NWA world-class. And then um, when WWF got him in 80 and 90, I thought, Oh, he's going to be a big player. I thought so too, but no. Right. I'm very interested in this movie. I love the Von Erich story. And and I, like we said, I said many, many episodes ago, my favorite territory, I grew up on AWA, but I liked Texas territory looking back. Yes. Like the Von Erichs and Freebirds and the, and the way that Friday night wrestling was like the hottest ticket in Dallas against high school football. I like Southern booking in general. For the most part. Yeah. I don't know about Memphis, to be honest, on the booking scale. Yeah. And UWF, I liked it better in 86 or 87 after Bill Dundee wasn't there. But like, I like rock and rolls versus the Midnights. And yes. I like the Fantastics. And, and you know, I believe Terry Gordy might have been one of the top 10 workers of all time or top tw- top 25 for sure. Him and Bobby Eaton. In, right in his era. Well, Bobby didn't have, uh, yeah, Bobby is a work, like his, his technical talents yeah. was second to none. Anyway, this movie, I can't wait. And if Zac Efron's on it, it's going to be mainstream. So that's going to be good. And uh, what do you know about Tales from the Territories that The Rock and the producers of of uh, Darkseid are doing? I think this is a big conspiracy theory. So get, yeah, let's get hear the conspiracy ready, ready for it. But I think the guys from Darkseid, I think this is something The Rock had in his mind for a while. But I also think the guys from the Dark Side of the Ring were considering doing a episode on his old man and he wants control and he and he stepped in and said no we're not doing anything on my old man but what about what if we do this together and when the rock steps in he's got such stroke it's like well yeah, i think they that. probably were starstruck when he wanted to do business with exactly them. so that's what i that's what i think honestly i think they were thinking about is it going to do... be dramatic or is it going to be documentary style I, th- I don't know enough about I it. I think it's going to be documentary style with drama mixed in. I don't think it's like, I think it's going to be very much like the cutscenes of Young Rock, but less hokey. So it's not going to be like Dark Side, yeah. which is more doc. 
Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be a hybrid. Okay. From what from what I've read and I mean there's very little on it but yeah. from what I've read it's going to be sort of a hybrid documentary slash dramatic. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see the tales from I, the territory how they how they bring it together. Um uh, like I told you, I like I like the Dallas territory as one of my favorites. I liked UWF, I liked Crockett. I never like I I got WWF from 1986 on and I or 85 on and I loved Hulk. I was a Hulk maniac. Yeah. Um, but like I, I, when I remember in Winnipeg, when it was like WWF used to run Maple Leaf wrestling at 6 PM and then it, they lost that slot and it became stampede wrestling. Yeah. And I was like, this is great. And then there was like Benoit and beef Wellington and Kerry Brown, Jerry Morrow, the Cuban commandos uh, that was Morrow yep. and Cuban assassin, Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman, Muck and Singh, Steve DeSalvo. Uh, like I was, I was mesmerized and that was like a more believable territory to me. Like it, it seemed like every match was a contest. Like it wasn't, there wasn't jobber matches really. Yeah. And Stamp- Stampede was a revelation for me as well. It was, mm. I was like, whoa, like it, cause it was so much grittier than anything I'd been exposed to. Yeah. And I really liked it. Like it was violent. So if you're listening, we're going to ask this question on social media. What was your favorite territory yeah. and why, whether it's Dallas Stampede, you know, Tell us why. What what was great about it? And that's going to be something we talk about. But uh, we got Steve Stryker. We haven't up. even mentioned that we've got a guest on yeah, the show today. Steve, Steve Stryker. Stryker on the show, and uh, he's he's hanging on on the line right now. So you figure we should get to him? Yeah, let's go. Let's go get to him right after this. The Total B She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total B She's Show on Twitter at Total B She's on Instagram at Total B She's. Or search us on Facebook, Total Bees She's. This is Wayne Stanton from Episode 6 of the Total Bees She's Show. If you're not listening to this podcast, I think you're a coward. It is an honor for me anytime we have a guest on the Total B She Show, but this guy might be the biggest guest we've ever brought on. <laughs> and um, somebody I've known since I was 16 years old, a man who helped mold me as the man I am today, a guy I always learned a lot from, and a guy who's so underestimated as a, as a really good brain around the wrestling business. His name is Steve Stryker. I met him in 1995 as a 16-year-old, and it's an honor to have you on the show today, my friend. Well, I, uh, first of all, I'd just like to say thank you to the both of you for acknowledging my greatness and uh, my, uh, my uh, part in the uh, history of the business. This is, this is why we can't give you a verbal bleeze because you give yourself a better <laughs> verbal bleeze than anything I could give you. Well, to be honest, I, I remain underwhelmed as usual. <sighs> so let's talk about a, a little, a couple of things. Do you realize in 1997, when you started power pro wrestling in Winnipeg, if you had hired me instead of my cousin as Booker, you'd still be running today. Uh, you know, here's the thing, right. And you always hang that over my head and you have for 25 years. Yes. Yeah, 25 um, years this year. We need to have a re- reunion exactly. show. Mm, yes. We'll uh, book tech rock and get it done. And we might pay this time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, that whole Power Pro thing, it was short-lived, but, uh, you know, three fabulous shows and uh, 
damn it if it hasn't stood the test of time in 25 years and it really was just three uh, shows with a bunch of guys who thought they knew what they were doing but didn't know anything what they were doing and a business plan that didn't get executed and the end result was what happened yeah in total fairness I've had startups that lasted three shows myself and I thought they were going to be bigger than anything I've also had like really none of my projects because they were so vast ever really lasted five years or three years or whatever, other than PCW still going, but certainly it's different than when we started it. Um, your take, what are independent promoters today doing well? And you see it in the West coast in BC and Chilliwack, and you've seen it in Grand Prairie. You've seen it in Alberta. You see it in Manitoba. What are they doing well, the promoters? Well, what they're doing is they're certainly bringing up uh, the entertainment value and the talent that is actually in the ring. Now, it's, uh, you know, everybody talks about, uh, you know, the territory days, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, old school wrestling, this, that, and the other. Back then, you were known as a body guy, you know, if you had a good look. And, and you know, where Winnipeg was concerned, you had, you know, guys like the little bulkster and Mighty Moe, you know, <laughs> like just, the, you know, just guys that were, you know, that were built. And then, you know, a guy named Andy Anderson came along and, and really raised the bar. And then, of course, Shane Madison and that whole generation actually knew how to take care of their bodies, not, you know, slackers like me who, you know, I was a big guy naturally, but I didn't go to the gym nearly as much as I should have. And the end result is seven dislocated shoulders, two surgeries and a very limited career, which probably could have been a lot more. Yeah, that's what they were doing 20 years ago was body guys were starting to, or good wrestlers yeah. were starting to have bodies. But like but what's happening no. now isn't necessarily body guys getting over. I actually think no. that wrestling fans are buying, you know, guys with an ordinary look if they've got the talent or the passion. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm kind of on the fence on that one because, you know, I'm still a little traditional in the mind is if you look like you should be sitting in the crowd with popcorn, you're nothing special. You know, I gotta, I gotta make reference to kind of Winnipeg, you know, a lot of, a lot of the meat of my work was in Winnipeg, of course, you know, a guy like Big O, for example. Yeah. Who was 121 um, pounds and about five foot nine or five foot eight. But, it, but when I look at booking a wrestling show and seeing a wrestling show top to bottom, having one Big O is good. Yeah, well, you, having a, yeah, having a card full of big O's is no good. Exactly. Right. Just like having a card full of fat guys is not any better. I'm not, you know, saying skinny guys suck. I'm saying, you know, having uh, rotund individuals is just as detrimental because at the end of the day, you're trying to create athletes. And again, getting back to what your question was to begin with, without rambling too, too much. Which yeah, I, could be bad I know. Um, you know, independent wrestling promoters today are putting on shows where a lot of the talent in the ring, more than half the talent in the ring are well-conditioned performers. Yeah. Athletes. I'm very lucky, you know, living out here in the lower mainland, British Columbia, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm privy to, uh, you know, uh, WrestleCore and, and uh, Nation Extreme Wrestling and those kind of offerings where you have these. Uh, I mean, I've got the Bollywood boys, Adam Ryder. I've got these guys in my backyard. Yeah, you know, and spoiled. I get to see them on the regular. Yeah, you know, and this is, and this is the thing, you know, you can, you can say the same thing about Calgary. You know, you got your Johnny Devines and his crews there and, and those guys working hard and Winnipeg has their, 
hardcore of CWE guys and the likes, and every every area of the country has them. But most independent shows today, if you're not bringing fantastic spectacle of athleticism, uh, you don't stand out anymore. It's just the way the business is now. I know you can have your slower paced matches, which makes sense. You have to have emotion, right? You have to have people investing. That's a thing too. I'm in awe of the athleticism of, of all the performers today, males, females. They're just at a love. Makes me wonder, you know, you know, could I get in there and do another match at a snail's pace, man? I could not keep up with today's talent. You know, if I trained for two years, I still wouldn't be able to keep up with today's talent. It's just a different creature now. Steve, do you think that some of the indies have gotten a little bit stale having their stalwarts all the time on the same shows over and over and over again? Because I, I can see it coast to coast. I watch lots of cards and I can see those cards in Alberta. And, you know, you do have a lot of really talented guys, but we're getting a lot of the same fare, it seems. And that's happening from west to east even. Yeah, you know, they, you know, it's a fair thought. Um, the way I see that is you have your staple performers, right? So... Let's compare it to fast food, right? McDonald's hasn't lost any money serving up the Big Mac their entire time, and Burger King has the Whopper. Every area has their guy, you know, and girl, and and they uh, perform all the time. Now, where entertainment value comes in, and that's most important, if you have a crew of people that are just showing up, and, and, you know, you can look at incredibly awful wrestling on YouTube, not just North or watching at a night were, promo. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> you know, I knew you'd get a dig in on him at some point because I, I am an Adam Knight fan. You are um, the biggest Adam Knight fan, my friend. Hey, hey, hey you know what? I, I gotta, I, you know, he's a heavyweight. I gotta, I gotta be loyal to the heavyweights, right? Absolutely. So, uh, but no, he can't cut a promo. I'm sorry, guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have to agree with you there, but you know what? He 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 brings it. He performs. I saw I saw his match there with Mentalode. Um, the other day, it was pretty solid. I, did, I still think he bumped too much, but didn't, I think Mentalo carried him as usual, though. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, Mentalo is an incredible talent. You know, you've got your uh, Artemis Spencer types here in the West Coast. Those guys like that, Adam Ryder. Um, you know, out here, and your your Johnny Devines and your Michael Richard Blaze, and and those kind of talents. And then you know, you've got him. You know, it's AJ Sanchez is the measure of big man in 2022 that, you know, yeah. incredible. Still but, going strong you know, year 17 yeah, in his wrestling career. I'm jealous. Yeah. You know, like I considered myself pretty good in my day. You know, I never did that stuff. I mean, I wrestled generally 280 to 300, depending on which fast food joint I went to yeah. uh, or buffet <laughs> in the, the old Royal Fork buffet back in the day. And it was hit or miss if I paid the bill. So one of those deals. What are, in uh, yeah, it's what are the indie promoters doing bad or what are the things that they could be doing better? Cause right now I'm seeing a lot of shows that have, you know, 200 people cause the size of the venue, which means the promoters going in with the mindset, that's what they can draw. I see the odd promoter going out there and renting a, a venue that they could hold 350. What could they be doing to get to that magic 500 number? Is that even feasible in this day and age? Well, I think it, a lot of it has to do with your approach to the business. Yeah. The entertainment dollar, people think, oh, if we build it, they will come. That's been the old theory for a long time, and it's rarely done. You get your nostalgia pop for one big show, and then all of a sudden things taper off. The problem with independent wrestling is very rarely is there a revenue flow. If There's very rarely cash flow. You get these big companies coming out of the gate, and they have the big production, the big lights, but that money only sticks around for so long until you got to start paying the bill. Or CRA and shuts you down in the case of WFX. 
you know, obviously that goes to the business plan not being executed. There's a lot of people that still, you know, when they're running their independent shows, it's a little wild west where they'll do 50-50s without a lottery license. Uh, (laughs) That one always always chaps my ass. Yeah, the winning Um, prize is $14. (laughs) $14 is going to the winner. Yeah, here's your six-pack of beer and a hot dog, if that. Yeah. Um, Independent wrestling is tough, right? Because everybody who generally does it, uh, whoever the promoters are, are, are really passionate and then they have a vision. And, you know, I remember, you know, the, the short-lived Power Pro, I was 23 years old. You know, we had a falling out with Ernie Todd, uh, you know, uh, a guy oh. that, you know, <laughs> striker, you're fired. <laughs> you know what, I'll say this, I'll say this, he's the only guy that ever sent me a formal letter, uh, registered, I might add, yeah. that uh, I was released from my contract. Yeah, he you know, sued and, me for breach of contract. Like, how valuable was I to his wrestling yeah. company that I required a breach of contract lawsuit? When I got let go from my CWF contract, at that point, you know, the contract was so large that I had to hand in my Jaguar and give up my house. <laughs> um, you know, so it was really heartbreaking as I sat in my little one-bedroom apartment on Pandora Road, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, but at least crushed. at least you got a release and not a, not a summons to appear in court for that big multi-hundred-dollar yeah. breach of loss, breach of contract yeah, suit. Nobody, uh, you know, and all the, all the BS that happened back in the Bees, day, Bees, she's my friend. Oh, bees, she's yeah. my apologies. I should know my forum. Um, <laughs> uh, never sued. I've only been fired technically. I guess Ernie fired me twice then. Yeah. You know, once after that Lincoln show and, uh, and then once formally. Uh, yeah, you got fired as Booker <laughs> at the Lincoln show because of the broken tile. Remember that time you went yeah. to that internet cafe and sent him a bunch of emails using a fake name? I don't remember that. <laughs> Because it was me who did it, and I caused a bunch of heat with the NWA. Andy a- Andy Anderson had to get Victor Kionez to help get me out of that. I was going to get sued. That's your mo. <laughs> the late Howard Brody, who just passed away, he actually, him and Ernie were going to sue me on behalf of the NWA, and Victor Kionez had to get on the phone and say, "Is it even worth it? Like, the, you know, this is crap. It's bees." It was it was back in the day where emails were actually valuable because technology was so rare. Yeah. Okay, Steve, so we were talking about getting to that magic 500 number mark for the fans. Do you think promoters' inability to get there in this day and age is due to poor booking? Because yes. you, you've been, a, I know Mike thinks that, you've been, a, you've been on all sides of the things. And you know what, I don't see, like, you're, you're talking about Power Pro and, and sort of that heyday of wrestling well, in Winnipeg. I remember it as whoa, a kid whoa, whoa, listening whoa, to whoa, it. Whoa, 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 I never said heyday. It was a heyday, crap. yes it was. I said uh, it was a heyday. Mike said it was a heyday. If I'd been the booker, it'd still be running. For but but out like loud. there was a ho- bunch of hot angles going on at that time. And I can remember hearing about it all the way out near Morden, where I was from and being like, oh man, what's, the, what's going on with Winnipeg wrestling? Like what's happening? Like I want to, I want to be a part of this, but you don't hear about hot angles anymore. You don't hear about hot booking anymore. Is that, is that the issue? Is that part of the issue? No, no, it's a different, it's a different time. Booking 
You know, as nothing. much as people say they're a booker, they're this, they're that, in independent wrestling, because there's no constant form, like the only company really right now that is consistently out there is uh, is Nation Extreme Wrestling in Vancouver. Their presentation, they're always putting matches out on video. They're trying their damnedest. But at the same time, they're a local hype, right? And, and this is no disrespect for, for that company. They just ran a baseball stadium, and that hadn't been done since the mid-2000s with Mr. Davidson. I mean, you can say that it's been done in the States all the time, but as far as Canada is concerned, I think uh, Shaw Park or whatever it's called today was uh, the last time Canada had a baseball event. So bravo, it took uh, 15 plus years for somebody else to try it. Uh, but it's it's tough. Booking, no. Talent, maybe. Because pro, pro wrestling at the end of, end of the day is entertainment. And generally you talk people's asses into the seats. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, WWE is going to Los Angeles in April and they got to bring in the rock for that to, to fill SoFi stadium. And they're going to talk and they're going to talk asses into the seat. You're going to see John Cena probably, you know, and then if you have a good talent and, and I will equate one time in Winnipeg professional wrestling where people's asses were talked into seats. And that was during the era of MVP people, might not remember that, but Mike, you'll gloat because you were the booker during that time. Yeah, it was my creation, um, but I think you helped me with that. I, I used to steal your well, ideas sure. all the time. But but that's okay. Stealing ideas, ideas are one thing, but executing those ideas is a whole different, uh, everybody can be it. I mean, I'm, am I a good idea guy? Sure. Yeah. I, I'm passionate about the business, love every second of it. But yeah, you know, MVP, when you had uh, Will Damon, Playboy Will Damon, Shane Madison, and Donnie DiCaprio. Yeah. So the premise um, of that was you had the Mecca, who was the M, that was Jeez Wheeze, Shane Madison. You had the vicious Donnie DiCaprio, that was the V of the MVP, and you had Playboy Will Damon. And you're right, their talking did help the houses, and so did a guy named TJ Bratt, who was the baby face who was running with them. And that's, yeah. that's what you needed. Strong heels make great baby faces. It was lopsided. We went heel heavy so that the baby faces could get sympathy. And that did work. That was drawing more, more people. People would come like the presentation, come back the next week. Thanks to the presentation. But, it doesn't happen enough. That, um, well, here, here's the thing in, in today's uh, professional wrestling world. Uh, and it's happening a lot in Canada as you see guy versus girl. That All should never happen. I just saw one today. Uh, Thrash Wrestling is doing uh, a, a title match where it's two women and a guy in a three-way. You know, that's not how a three-way is supposed to go. Sounds like a menage um, a trois. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's not any three-way. I've been, well, yeah, okay, never mind. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I see that stuff and, and yes, okay. Girl power, empowerment, entertainment. Let's have uh, a woman fight a guy, you know, and, until I see Juliana Pena or somebody of that nature in, in MMA go against Conor McGregor. Uh, what are we talking about here? That's, that's the disbelief, right? Cause you know, you're raised and everybody, you know, you talk about toxic masculinity in 2022 and, 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 and equality and all that stuff. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about uh, one of the very important ingredients of a good show, and that's that suspension of disbelief. Yeah. You're not fooling anybody that it's a show. No. Nope. But if you can give them that one little spark. Make them believe of, for one second. That's all you need to do. That's it. That's one little spark. 
is enough to light the house on fire. Yeah, when you talk about inter- intergender, though, let's let's put it into perspective. If I see two women on Portage and Maine in Winnipeg start throwing at each other, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to enjoy that. If I see two men leaving the Palomino Club, the world-famous Palomino Club where our friend Scotty Townsend works, and they stop on the sidewalk and they start throwing, I'm going to watch that. I'm going to enjoy that. If I see Joe Blow start beating the piss out of Wendy, I'm going to jump in and help Wendy. I'm not going to watch it and enjoy it. So why would I watch well, an intergender match and enjoy it? It's the wrong kind of emotion. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, look at that. Look, she she gave him a flying head scissors and he sold and went out of the ring. Yay. But it's the wrong kind of emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like another thing, you know, getting, you know, not sidetracked from intergender wrestling, but it's when a brother goes against a brother. On AEW Dynamite, uh, Billy Gunn went against, his son, went against his son. Yeah, okay, but... It's why Matt and Jeff Hardy never worked. If there's something about family beating on family that just doesn't. Really oh, you don't help. think Vance Nevada versus Mike Davidson was a real angle? No, I'm not We're saying cousins. it wasn't a real angle. Yeah, but but you know Brian Christopher, Jerry Lawler, you know how many? Who's co- everybody's cousins in the business at some point? That's how most guys broke in. They knew somebody. You make us all sound inbred yeah. when you say that, you <laughs> fool. <laughs> well, um, I think that Bret Hart versus Owen Hart was believable. I think that. Uh, Scott Steiner That's and Rick, Scott Steiner and Rick Steiner could have been believable. No, 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 no. You're doing you're doing subjective now. Owen and Brett's the only one that worked. Why? Because they knew how to work. So you're saying only one brother versus brother angle ever worked? Yeah. S- Scott and Rick wouldn't have worked. No, no, no. It never happened. You can't say that. Oh, okay. yeah. You can't be hypothetical. I can't be hypothetical. What about that no. angle that Carrie and Kevin Von Erich did when they started shooting on each other on the stick? Yeah. Fritz buried it because he didn't want you to hear about it, but it happened all through 86 in Texas. Kevin yeah. started shooting on the stick that Kerry Von Erich was a, dr- a pill popper. You don't remember that the angle? You Kerry Von Erich. All right. So we've yeah. talked about what independent promoters are doing right and wrong and, and things, and yeah. you were, and you articulated it very well. I appreciate that. Now I want to talk about your background outside of wrestling mm-hmm. as a athlete, combat sports Commissioner, right? Yeah, commissioner is, uh, in Winnipeg is, is ridiculed. You were like the Winnipeg, or you were the Alberta version of Bach Matiowski. And Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what I want to know about that is your experience with MMA comparative, comparative to your experience in independent wrestling. What was more organized? Why do they draw 2,000 people to a show and independent wrestling struggles to draw 500? It's, it's because it's a shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as as long, you know, a lot of guys will say, ah, oh, UFC's a work, boxing's a work. You know what? There's, you know, anything that has Jake Paul's name on it, probably a work shoot. Uh, you know, that exhibition with Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor was just a right rib. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's good business. They're, they're working the marks. It's good business. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but with MMA, you know, I spent uh, 11 years, almost 12, with the uh, Grand Prairie Combative Sports Commission in Grand Prairie, and I've taken enough ribbing online from you about <laughs> what ribbing are you talking about? Yeah, there's there's very a couple of times I unfriended you. That's how much of a baby I was. <laughs> but you know, with with MMA, you have weight cuts, you have medicals that have to be done, uh, you have weight class. You know, I find guys, I've canceled fights, I've caught guys with AIDS or well HIV. I caught a guy that was about to have a heart attack on a, on a uh, EKG. It showed that he had a blocked artery. Saved his life. Really? You know, it's, 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 it's a very real thing. Yeah, there's a lot of responsibility you know, in, that, in your role, right? 
and I'm not a doctor, right? Our, our commission doctor looks at it and says, hey, Darren, i got to show you something, right? And then I know how to read an EKG. And I never went to medical school just on doing it for almost 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I saw a guy's femur get snapped off a kick. I've seen enough broken noses and broken hands. It's way different than professional wrestling, the way the guys carry themselves. Although, to be fair, in local MMA, when you're talking about Canadian MMA and the smaller shows, there are just absolute jabrones. There's guys that are, you know, 0-6, 0-7. They're just showing up. You know, there's one guy. Oh, I think his name, I got to remember his name. I think it was Cyril Glover. It was a, it was a kid out of, I believe, Saskatoon. And he was like 0-7. And I find him for being late to the scale. <laughs> I find him. I find him three times for three different things the same night. And at the end of the day, after he got his pay, after he got his ass handed to him, he ended up walking out of the building with like fifty dollars. <laughs> it's very real, and because these guys are doing this and making you know a thousand dollars a night to fight, or two thousand dollars, or five hundred dollars, or even as low as $300 to show, $300 to win. It, these are people's livelihoods in some cases. Okay, so when you're you're um, officiating a fight or, or your role with a commi- as a commissioner, mm-hmm. if you see the broken femur and the ref doesn't stop right away, do you have the power to stop that fight to save the fighter or is that up to the mm-hmm. referee? Yes, I can. I can. As a commissioner, it's extremely rare. MMA officials are very sharp and very smart. Judges take a lot of heat, but referees, you know, when, when people say, oh, he stopped it too early or, you know, or anything like that it, until you're in a cage or in a ring and you're, and you're watching this and you're, cause you're looking for what's known as a Palmel seizure, which is really a small, a baby knockout, so mm-hmm. to speak, mm-hmm. where a guy takes a, a jab and he's like, oh, and he loses his, you know, and his body has to recalibrate. You have to watch for that, right? Cause, cause there's a lot of brain damage that can happen in MMA. There's a lot more in boxing, not nearly as much as MMA because you're not fixated on head contact. Yeah. It's takedowns, it's wrestling, it's jujitsu, it's it's a lot of variations. But you really gotta watch. So, you know, there's a lot of rules beforehand. They'll talk to the fighters, the commissioner will be there too, the inspectors will be there. And and they'll say things. Listen, if, if you cause some guys some guys could be sitting there in a hold and they can't tap or they're really, really hurt and you'll hear like just a different kind of grunt. You know, there's a difference, right? Where a guy, these athletes are, are trained to be hurt, right? You know, the only thing an MMA guy really can't defend is the liver kick. That'll knock down anybody any day of the week. If you get a swift kick in the liver, you're going down. Your body just shuts down and reboots. Think of it as a computer rebooting. You get kicked in the liver, that's what your body does. It's, mm. it's just what it does. Yeah. So you used to slap in the kidneys. I think maybe you should have slapped in the liver back in the day, Mike. That was, that was your deal. <laughs> It's scary sometimes because there's there's guys who I stopped going to the cage because they were just psychologically not there. And if they would have got in there, they would have really got hurt. Uh, the role of a, a real commission, and that's 99.9% of them in North America, is safety. We don't care what you're getting paid. We don't care where you came from. If we don't think you're going to be safe, we're going to do everything in our power to protect. That's our mandate. That's why you generally aren't supposed to knee a downed opponent or kick a downed opponent. It's vulnerable. It's why you can't spike an opponent on their head. It's why you can't punch in the back of the head. It's vulnerable. It's not sporty. You can't fish hook. You can't high gouge. You can't kick in the ball, <laughs> right? There's a rule now where you have to keep your fingers curled. If you come in with an eye poke, you can get a warning, lose a point. It's about safety. You know, professional wrestling, that's really just like, hey, look at me. I got this new gear made, and I'm going to go do some, some spots. Now, yeah. wrestling is a very dangerous sport. 
Yeah, you can fall under ne- you can break a neck pretty easy in wrestling. It doesn't take much. You know, you take uh, AEW um, Forbidden Door. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Dax Harwood separated his shoulder doing a leg drop. Yeah. He did a sliding leg drop, like a baseball slide leg drop version, you know, like the X, X-Pac or whatever version. Yeah. And he, he, just like that, he separated his shoulder just because his arm just dragged a certain angle. Shoulders are very weak. They're very weak. I compare it to, uh, it, it, there's really nothing to it. You know, you build muscle around it. That's the only chance you got. Okay. So let's wrap it. Let's, let's, let's end fast. I want to hear a Wayne Stanton imitation. Can you do one? No. Yes, you can. You do a dynamic. You do an amazing Wayne. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Let's hear it. don't Well. (laughs) (laughs) Do Tony now. No, I know I can't do Tony. Uh, You don't do Tony? I've heard you do Tony. I don't think I do Tony. I remember. Okay. Do her. Do her. Do Ernie. Oh, Striker! I need to be in the main event as Iron Man. Oh yeah, those were good days. What's your favorite Mike mm. Davidson story that you want to tell to make me turn red? <laughs> it involves Dauphin Man in Manitoba in a wrestling ring, and I wasn't there. Dauphin? Tell me the story, and I'll tell you what happened. I can't tell you the story because it's uh, kayfabe. I don't remember. I don't remember Dauphin. I don't think I've ever been on a show in Dauphin. You know, I almost broke into Carney, but I didn't think it was a classy thing to do on the podcast. Well, our name is Lazy Carn, so just break into Carney. No. Okay, tell. No, okay, then you. tell the next best story. Tell the one you tell the one that's appropriate. You must have a story. Well, you know, it's it's not so much embarrassing, but uh, I remember a night in Edmonton, Alberta. <laughs> Let's hear it. Yeah, yeah, you know where I'm going with this, you bastard. Who were we wrestling? No. We were in a tag match. No, no, no. That was that was the standing spear. That's another story altogether. Yeah. Mike threw the stiffest standing spear of all time. He would have made Bobby Lashley jealous. Yeah. Um it was unbelievable. No, we were we were up it was uh for Action Wrestling Entertainment. Oh yeah, and, I remember uh, that company. And of course nobody nobody had a ring truck, so I had to rent a ring truck and we had uh Mies Acid's ring. Yeah, and, massive uh, damages ring, yeah. Yeah, and he helped out with that. And we went out to the bar the night before we left for high level. And uh, we're coming back. And I got my car. It's a 2000 Ford Focus. You know, it's only a couple of years old. And we're coming back. And Mike decides to whip out his dick and piss on my car. And not the front <laughs> Complete- of the car, but on the windshield. He gave it a Mike Davidson piss car wash. It was it was unbelievable. It was completely and disrespectful. I like an idiot in awe. <laughs> As this guy just looked at me straight faced and was just, you know, it was an impressive piss. It was a flash flood. Don't get me wrong. Like it was, you know. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. I'm sorry for that. That was disrespectful. I was drunk. I, I don't drink like that anymore. Well, it was, uh, it's, uh, my car never forgave you. No, neither did and, you for a long time. Well, there was a lot more to that trip than, uh, than meets the eye. Yes. Um, but yeah, coming back, yeah, you were constantly, constantly riding me to the point that I, that I kicked you all out of my car and went home. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I, I could be a prick back then. Not anymore. I've changed. I promise you. I never you know, the thing is I never understood why you were being a prick because the shows were successful. You made money. Um, but yet you were a prick of source Rex. It was yeah. unbelievable. 
I don't know. We, I, I would have to revisit that time. It's a dark, I, it's a distant memory to me. I, I value, yeah. I value you for all that you've done for me over the years and all you've done in the wrestling business. Um, you've always been a voice of reason for me and, and somebody I I've stole, I've stolen a lot of your ideas and credit for a few things, but you aren't the guy that put AEW or AWE on pay-per-view. I'll tell you that. I was not. I was not <laughs> yeah. It's been published in a book, but it was false. Anyway, thank you so much. Uh, we'll have you on again sometime and talk maybe mainstream wrestling with you, but, uh, you had some good points yeah. and, and, um, thank you for coming on. Thanks a lot, Steve. You know what? You guys are great. Thank you so much for the opportunity and uh, always a pleasure. This episode of the Total Bees Cheese Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total Bees Cheese Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code BEESCHEESE. Again, the code is B-E-E-Z. S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. And now the soon-to-be-sponsored mailbag. What's the sponsorship going to be? You're just going to have to wait to find out, my friends. Yeah. It's coming. All right. So this week, we got our question from our good friend. Question of the week? Question of the week from Dave Cote. Love that, man. This week, question is for Mike, not Chris, (laughs) since he doesn't like my questions. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. Uh, Having worked with the Bombers, what do you think indie wrestling promoters could learn from leagues like the CFL? And what do you think the CFL could learn from the indies, especially promotion-wise, uh, to fill those seats. Okay. So I'm going to try to keep this from being an extremely long-winded answer. Um, one of my biggest um, sources of pride in my life is having graduated from independent wrestling to working in in a peripheral role with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Um, you know, I was on the field when they won the Great Cup in Hamilton last year, and that was an incredibly big honor. Um, here's what I'll say. The way the CFL operates is that they have developed a, well, in the Winnipeg at least, they have just, they have developed this huge passion behind their brand. And when they were losing, they were still drawing 20 to 25,000 fans a game. Now they're winning and they're drawing 25,000 to 30,000. So the key would be, if you understand that, at their worst, they were drawing 20,000 into the stadium for a losing team when they were 5 and 13. Now they are going to be a 13 and five or a 14 and four team. And there's like four, four games in a row where they're going to draw 30,000. So obviously when you're putting your best foot forward, the people come, the people become more engaged. Um, And it's a generational thing. Why the bombers are a, are a, have the big following, but it's also the way they present it. I said this once before, you don't let your friend, become a offensive lineman because he's a nice guy yet there's wrestling promoters that let underqualified talents get on shows because hey he's a good guy yeah right don't do that try to build your roster from beginning to end like a championship team 
hey, this guy is good enough to be on our roster, not, hey, we, we might as well put him on the show, right? Never sink to that level if you can. Commit to your talent. And then the other part is the mindset of the CFL. Now, here's what the reality is. The CFL has an entire marketing team from a league standpoint, and each team has like five, 10 people dedicated to making it marketable. Independent wrestling has one usually, the promoter. The promoter has to think bigger than posters and flyers or, hey, I'm on Instagram. It starts with graphic design. I belabored that point. Then it comes from, okay, what will the market, what will the mass market buy the ticket for? Sure, your engaged fans will buy it for $21, $25 even. But the average fan will shy away from that ticket price because they don't know what they're getting for $25. Right. You need to find a way where you can introduce the product to fans for a price where, they, where they'll understand it. CFL has an advantage. They can introduce the game to fans every Friday night on TSN. Independent wrestling doesn't have that. So they have to figure out a way to introduce it, but they have to also raise the value of their product to a point where it can go up to that level. Um, I've done other things that were big that we'll talk about more longer in longer form in future podcasts. I once had a fan contest in a Winnipeg. There was UFC came to Winnipeg and we did a contest where you could meet and greet Matt Hughes you win a contest to sit with Matt Hughes at UFC in Dana White's section in the front row. And I was in the fourth row sitting next to Robert Hershevik from Shark Shark Tank. Right. Dragon's Den. It was an amazing contest. And people say, oh, that must have cost a fortune. It cost l- way less than you think it did. Um, I also did something where we did Big Brother parties where we brought Evil Dick and... Uh, and uh, Janelle and, and major Big Brother stars, I brought them in and had a party where you could watch an episode. I think with independent wrestling, they've got to start to think, how can we make fans think that it's a must-see event? So if you're going to run eight events, every one of them has to be must-see. But not must-see just for your, for your main audience but for a grand grow it so that there's 300 people who are curious about it and i also think independent promoters have to figure out a way to get their dates up to 12 a year 15 a year 20 a year in each market winnipeg should be able to do 12 events a year minimum maybe 15 because they support the bombers nine times nine ten with exhibition 11 with the playoffs and they support the gold eyes like i think it's 40 sometimes, maybe 60 times a year. Yep. So you got to, the Jets 40 times, the ice, the moose. So if they can do it, figure out a way where you can do it. Well, but it takes a lot of effort. What what the, what the indie promoters are not doing well, and you kind of glossed over it a little, little bit, but they're not doing social media well. And that's one thing they could take from the Bombers. For example, their Instagram is hilarious. The, whoever's running their social media is really awesome. The bombers. The bombers. Yeah. Because they're doing, they're putting up this innovative stuff and it's not hard to do. I know how to do all the stuff they're doing. It's very simple. It's all done on your phone. Like when Montreal, they had the game with Montreal, they had a, a trash compactor crushing the air horn can. Brilliant. Very simple. They just put the logo on it. That was it. It was a brilliant social media post. It got a ton of traction and that's what, in my opinion, gives... Guy, uh, you know, indie guys, they have an edge there. They can yeah. do that. You can learn to do that and it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. Not to kill the point too, mainstream media. One of the things I actually, I, I like mainstream media. I follow mainstream media. There are, I have friends in mainstream media. 
And I, but there's, I've always wondered why mainstream media in, in when I don't take Winnipeg as an example. I, I used to fight with them because they will go down and cover the gold eyes four times a week Yep. for three games. Gold eyes will have three games in Winnipeg. They'll get four days of coverage in the local newspaper and their stars aren't comparable to the wrestling stars that Danny Warren brings, Danny Duggan brings yep. to town or the WFX used to bring to town. I used to be like, you're sitting there covering per, like baseball players that could not even get on with a major league organization ever in their careers. And I'm bringing in guys that will either make it or, or have, have been there in the last three years. And they were like, wow, well, uh, they're it, very dismissive. It's something with Winnipeg. I don't know what it's it everywhere is, though, but it's so strange because they'll cover the tiddlywinks tournament down at Portage place. Yeah. But, but you bring in Billy Gunn and they're like, yeah. <laughs> and, and we were buying advertising from it. So when, when mainstream, like when newsprint went the way of the Dodo board bird and so did radio, like there's no sports talk radio in, in Winnipeg anymore. And even t- local television isn't doing enough local stories. When those people started to lose their job and that market shrunk, they kind of deserved it because they, they cover what they want to. Yeah. They don't, they don't think about every, they don't think about growing their audience. They think about making their paycheck, but that's a rant that doesn't need to be here. Uh, but getting back to Dave Cote's question, um, the promoters have to start wanting to be major league. And so, and sorry, Dave, I, I piped in with an answer. I know I wasn't supposed to oh, yeah. answer Mike only. Sorry yeah. about that. And you can ask Mike any question you want, anytime I'm happy to answer. Okay. Next th- question. This one's a nice little palate cleanser from that one. Which 1980s woman was your biggest crush? This one's coming from Travis. Travis. Which 1980s woman was your biggest four. crush? I got four. Four? Ooh. Yeah. Who do you got? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Oh, I can go first. You go first. I didn't think about it. Okay, so in no particular order, maybe, okay, count them because I'm going to go over four. Medusa Michelli, Elizabeth, Sherry Martell, believe it or not. Yeah. I was a big, I loved Sherry. Yeah. Um, And that's like late 80s, early 90s. And so, so is Medusa because she was in AWA. And Missy Hyatt. Missy Hyatt. There's four. Yeah. You're Um, looking for another one. No, I got a woman. Woman, yeah. Nancy Sullivan. Five. I think she was around in 89. Uh, yeah, who, she was with who uh, would Kevin I be, Who would I be missing? That's that's five, and I like all five of them. Yeah. No I, particular order. I was a big Elizabeth fan. She was a beautiful I would, woman. I would go with Scary Sherry. Yeah. And Miss Elizabeth. Those, yeah. The, just two. Did you I, masturbate to either of them? Oh, sure. Of course. <laughs> You're not going to put me on the spot or make me budge. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You jeezed off. Definitely. Jeez wheezed off. <laughs> All right. So let's move on from that into uh, no show. No show Jose. No way Jose. No way Jose. No Remember show I Jose. said, is he even a big deal? And a couple I said weeks no. ago when I was walking in the park and Scotty Townsend wanted to slap me for doing a show from the park walking. Yeah. Uh, I love you, Scotty. Um, thank you for the feedback, by the way. Uh, okay, so No Way Jose was not a big deal. And I actually talked to the promoter, Mark Merrick. I, I traded messages with him this week, and I was like, what's the story? How much was how much money was he offered? Like, Yeah, so for those so who I didn't got know, some pretty he, in, he was supposed to come in for a show. He was covering Primo's for, Wrestling. For Sam Shaw, who got signed by the WWE. Yeah. He was Dexter Loomis. Dexter Loomis. People, yeah. He was he was signed to come in and uh, fill that role. It was Friday. It was a Friday night a couple yeah. weeks ago. Anyway, he didn't show up. He decided because AEW booked him in Orlando. He traded in his ticket, which means he told AEW, "I'll trans myself in." Yeah, that's clear. And he took a dark match, like a yeah. AEW a dark tryout match. Yeah. yeah, dark, but it was on the dark or whatever. YouTube. Taping. 
Uh, okay, so, and then Mark Merrick went public with it. Can you play the audio? Good morning. My name is Graham Keem. I own Primo's Wrestling in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Last night, we had a show in Winnipeg uh, and that was supposed to feature former WWE superstar No Way Jose. Now, No Way Jose had informed me yesterday morning that he was going to be late for the show, which happens a lot with international travelers. I've been doing this for 15 years, and I know that uh, some wrestlers can come in late, sometimes as late as getting there for the main event, but we've always got them there. Uh, in one instance, I was working a show, not my own, but uh, Carlito ended up coming in at 9 p.m. and still arriving to work the show. So we're going on at 9 a.m., here and I don't know if he just didn't go to the airport on time or whatever the case was, but we had to book another flight. And we booked another flight for him to get here to get here on time. And that one also didn't work out. No vax pass or something of bullshit or whatever. So then we tried to get him to fly from Seattle, where he was coming from, to Fargo, North Dakota. And my wife was going to drive to Fargo, North Dakota to pick him up to bring him to the show. So he says, I got to fly there and then I got to drive three hours. And I said, yeah, my wife's going to come pick you up. And that was okay. And everything was all okay. Everything was all okay all afternoon. Everything was all okay all day. And then uh, halfway through my show uh, last night, I'm wondering where the guy is, you know, whatever. And I get an email from Delta that says the flight has been changed from where he was supposed to go, which was Winnipeg, Manitoba, to Orlando, Florida. So he had cashed in my ticket took the seat vouchers, which is a no-no. If you're not coming to a show, you give the promoter back their seat credit so they can use it again or something else. So he took my seat credit for over $1,000, flew himself to Orlando for a couple hundred bucks, cashed in the rest of the money, and is gone for the weekend to Florida. All on Primo's Wrestling Dime, all on our fans' dimes who paid to see him. Now, I have not had this level of disrespect in this business from anybody else other than just incredible in 2009, and he was going through some hard times, and he wasn't in the right place. So that was a little bit of different, and we've given him forgiveness since then. But with no way Jose kept telling us all day, man, I'm trying to make it, bro. I'm at the airport, bro. It's just not working out. You fucked off. And you went to Orlando and you killed the show for us. You killed our fans for us. But at the end of the day, you know, you killed it for you because we're never going to book you again. And we're going to tell all the promoters we know not to book you. So, you know, it's it's nice that you did that to us, but we're not some small town uh, drawing 20 people promotion here. We had a sold out crowd last night and no way. I, I don't even I, I don't even care at this point that you didn't come last night. I care that you stole from me. I care that you stole from my fans. And I care that you lied to me all day. So I hope you see this because we will be seeing you in court. Okay, so Mark Merrick explains it pretty good there. And obviously he's upset. I don't think a lawsuit was ever going to happen. And I've learned that since the internet kerfuffle and the, and the groundswell that actually the promoter Mark Merrick got paid out by No Way Jose. Um, I've had it happen. Billy Kidman no showed on me after he showed up once. So we booked his ticket for his return and thought, you know, hey, we've done business. It's going to work, but he was going through his was breakup through with Tori yeah. Wilson. So I kind of, you know, and I had Lex Luger. He didn't get through the border. 
Um, he, he came through once, no problem. Next time he had a warrant and didn't get through. And it sucks. I saw Vader not make it in for Danny Duggan a few years ago. And Carlito got in at nine o'clock. It happens. It's awful. One of the things Mark Merrick said to me, and he said, you know, out of pocket on advertising, whatever, I might've lost a few bucks on it. He said, but I'm, you know what I'm really upset about is the fans might've lost trust in me as the promoter. Yeah. And I'm going to say this to fans. Every promoter I know that puts his reputation out there that he's booked a name has actually done his part to book that name. He believes he's got a deal. He, be- he believes honestly that there's something. And when the name doesn't show, it sucks. It sucks. It sucks for the fans who paid. It sucks for the promoter who has egg on his face. It sucks for the reputation of the guy who didn't have the, 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 good, the good mind to live up to his word. As fans, you're the most important part of the equation. Please have faith in the promoter that says he's got a name. Now, if this happens two or three times a year, then the promoter loses credibility. If it happens once, there ain't nothing to disbelieve. Give the promoter a chance. I I guarantee you he's not pulling a bait and switch to make money here, that he believed he had him. And you know what? If you If you require a make good, Make that make good be that you want a free picture of the next big star that comes in or whatever, but buy the ticket next time because that promoter needs your confidence yes. in order to keep doing this. Don't blame the promoter. I don't think any promote. I don't think any fan is going to ble- blame the promoter. And I don't think no way Jose was a big enough star for this to do damage. But let me be very honest with you. I'd never heard of the guy, but with a name like no way Jose, it's just nothing to me. Yeah, And you're a piece of garbage for doing that to the fans and the promoter. And I hope that you smarten up because you're going to get nobody calling you. Sid Justice, Sid Vicious used to do this to everybody. Yeah, And it, and it stung, right? Sid's going to know show, but everyone knew. So when you saw Sid Vicious, you kind of knew he's not going to be there. I remember dealing with Sabu and I'm going to wrap this up quickly, but Sabu everyone told me he ain't going to get across the border. And if he wakes up and doesn't want to be there, he ain't going to be there. And this was in 2010. I talked to him the day before. Yeah, I'm going to be there. And then the morning of the flight, uh, his, his wife or whoever, I got a call and she said, yeah, he left for the airport hours ago. I was like, he's not supposed to fly until like noon. Yeah. Well, he left at six in the morning. I was like, okay, well we, we were expecting him at four or five in the afternoon. So then at about noon that day, I'm like, Sabu's missing in action, but I've heard he's en route and we're like worried about it. All of a sudden I get a call from Canada Customs at the airport and they said, we've got, insert real name, everyone knows it's Terry Brunk. And uh, he's, you know, there's some questions here, but they, they, re- they let him through and I was like, the guy lived up to his word. Not only that, he went and changed his flight to come in earlier. Yeah. Thank God, right? A lot of times talent will, talent will do stuff like that. But, you know, in the end... Fans, when a promoter puts his name on the line and says he's got a big name coming, believe him. And until you have reason, a pattern of disbelief. Yeah, and no way, Jose, you greasy jobber. Get yourself some credit so you can pay for your own tickets to go to your dark matches. Don't try to fleece other people and then wait a week to pay them back because you're getting internet flack. Because guess what? In this day and age, it's getting out. My question is, will Tony Khan hold him accountable and say, hey, we're not going to do business with you? Well, I, I, I almost wonder if he didn't go to Tony Khan and say, hey, Uncle Tony, I need, a, I need a little money for this airfare now. I don't know. Because somebody, somebody who cashes in their airfare like that 
doesn't have a pot yeah, to pee in. I, I did. You know, I there's a lot of that that I I'm not going to comment on. The I just know he no showed. And that's all I need to know. And that's I don't care what the financials were. I don't know if he made more for AEW. And maybe Tony said, hey, you got to get here and and keep it a secret and whatever. Hey, do better next time. Absolutely. And with that, we're hitting the Glen Goza and we're heading down the dusty trail close to midnight. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the rumper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the Iron Claw as only the Vaughn Erics can? Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called, and friend, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover, and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Boy, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon?